my dearest friend. Welcome back to the foxhole. It's always a pleasure to see you during the dead month of November. It gets quiet without the deities of the forest chattering away until the witching hour. Alas, the spirits must rest till Yule. One should think that this fox deserves to hibernate a little, but no. One should think that this fox has rent to pay. You've come at a wonderful time, though, my friend. I'm almost finished working on my credit list. My coaster credit list. I sense confusion. Allow me to elaborate. I am a roller coaster enthusiast, a theme park thuzy, a bona fide airtime junkie. I have hobbies outside of my esoteric work, you know. And riding roller coasters and putting them in an arbitrary top 25 list is an excellent way to pass the time. Especially during the month where the uh, spirits rest. We are a refined and cultured society. Though now that I think of it, November is actually outside of most parks operating seasons. But I digress. You're here for a story, are you not? And I have a perfect haunted theme park tale to whet your appetite. It's not Disney. I'm not doing Disney. Everyone does Disney. No, tonight, I've got a different theme park in mind. One closer to where I cut my teeth as a cub. Cedar Point. Though indeed, it's not the roller coasters there that should scare you out of your fur. No, no, no. Cedar Point's haunted legacy comes from none other than... What? What's that you said? You want to hear about my top 25 coasters first? Well, since you asked. Wild Eagle at Dolly with the B&M wing is my 25, and it's so sad to see it close to the chopping block because it's such a beautiful ride, but them's the brakes, and 24 is Orion because I'm a sucker for B&M gigas, with 23 being Raging Bull, the smaller B&M. Wow, there's a lot of B&Ms on this part of the list, but the next ride takes us over to Germany thanks to Zuma because Star Trek Operation Enterprise is surprisingly a fantastic ride in every single way. Welcome, well, to the foxhole and fox so esoterica. I promise I was sober when I wrote this. Welcome back to Fox Esoterica, the furry paranormal comedy podcast that gets the adrenaline pumping and exerts Schwarzkopf levels of G-forces on the psyche. I'm your host, Force City Fox, and I lied earlier. Star Trek Operation Enterprise is safely at number 20, ahead of Storm Chaser and Thunderbird, respectively. I just wanted to flex my overseas credits in the cold open. I'm going to stop making roller coaster jokes now. Once you hear about what the actual haunting entails, you're going to say, Well, that's not very roller coastery. You're just doing enthusiast bits. Well, enthusiast bits are fun for me, my brother, and maybe one other listener. So there. But before we get to that, housekeeping. And tonight's bit of housekeeping for SETI lore is a long time coming and wonderful news. But as of the 10th of November 2022, I have succeeded in achieving status as a resident in Germany which means I have a visa that lasts three years, up until I complete a language and integration course, which extends said visa indefinitely. Yes, after, my goodness, three years of doing a lot, a LOT of tasks, trials, and traveling, Zuma and I are finally allowed to live with each other for the rest of our lives, and I couldn't be happier. And the integration course will be easy. Glauben Sie es oder nicht? Ich spreche ganz gut Deutsch. Ich spreche okay Deutsch. Nichts Besonderes. Ist dies a bit lustig, meine fünf deutschen Zuhörer? Zuma tells me that arbitrarily speaking German is not a funny joke. Uh, but you know what Zuma knows about comedy? Probably a startlingly similar amount that I do. But I love him. I love him so much. Live moment. Welcome to the behind the scenes Fox Esoterica, where you 
think to yourself, why is the audio so weird? It sounds so echoey. Echo interruption. Uh, attention. Echo interruption. Uh, everybody played the visual novel Echo from the Echo Project. It's a furry visual novel, and it gets into Foxosoterica territory. I just finished TJ's route, and I'm crying all the time. This has been a plug for Echo. And that's where I explained to you that when I do the solo episodes, I um, don't have a recording studio because I'm poor and I keep moving. Uh, so I just put a comforter over myself and the mic to block all the background sound and stuff. And that works a lot. But for this episode, I'm going to be enjoying like one beer because I want to keep it with that Fox Osoterica vibe, you know? So <laughs> I don't want to like have that and also keep a comforter over my head because I just see that going poorly. Uh, but that being said, tonight's episode will be from the Irumabu Phantasma Collection. And the potion brewed is going to be a Krambacher Pilz from, and I'm going to be clicking and you're going to be hearing the ambiance. Kreuztal Deutschland, which is like kind of close to me. It, it's, um, it's like, you know, a number of miles away from Essen. Uh, but it's probably, because like with Germany, a lot of breweries just kind of like keep local and like I think this one is big enough to like be all over the place because I've seen it over in Lüneburg and stuff. But I somehow have not had it yet because I keep having the like one that's from Essen, which name I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But Fox Esoterica moment. I have a little, this is a podcast, this is going to be a fruitless endeavor, but I have a little bottle opener that is like. You press it in, and then it pops the cap open, and it's really nice. Uh, so, beer moment. Germany is known for its beer, uh, and that is a really good reputation, because, like, every fucking one is just, like, it's rich, it's malty, it's great. Can't ever go wrong with German beer. Like, even a Pilsner. Um, this review has been that Krumbacher Pilz is fantastisch. And I'm a big fan of it. Um, so now for the rest of the episode, I'm going to be once again putting on my Four City Fox acting moment with my script and putting the comforter over my head to record while every time I make a mistake, drinking more beer because Fox has satirical vibes. If it goes poorly, it goes poorly. I'm not going to have more than one because I'm alone in the apartment right now and Zoom is at work and it would be foolish if I just got drunk and he came home and he's like, why are you drunk? And I'm like, have for the podcast that'd be silly drink responsibly everybody well that was a fun little diversion yes my apartment is incredibly full of tile and just very little to soak up the ambiance i'll invest in tapestries eventually however time for the introductory bit when one thinks of the most scariest most fear-inducing attraction at an amusement park one might look towards the 300-foot leviathan of a giga coaster, Or perhaps the 20-story drop tower would be the attraction to get one's heart in one's throat. The meek, modest carousel probably gives pause to equinophobes and very few other people. Especially at the thrill capital of the world, Cedar Point, America's roller coast. The vintage, nigh-turn-of-the-century midway carousel pales in comparison to the adrenaline doled out by, say, Steel Vengeance. The best roller coaster in the world, don't at me. At least to the general public. To some Cedar Point ride operators, though, the Midway Carousel has a certain nightmare-ish knack for sending a chill down one's spine. 
Sometimes it's little mundane things. Clocking out from your shift at operating the carousel, only to come back the next morning with the horses in a completely different position. Or maybe faint fairground calliope music being heard after hours, when none of the rides should be running. Other times, however, employees have reported witnessing the carousel operating all by itself. After the park had closed, running backwards sometimes, and with a mysterious woman riding alone. Or more accurately, a translucent apparition of a woman. Yes, tonight I'd like to talk about the haunted carousel at Cedar Point, the Midway Carousel. You have to admit, Disney gets too much credit in terms of the paranormal community. What with the haunted mansion and all that, it's time to let other theme parks have a chance in the spotlight. And yes, Haunted Mansion itself is supposedly actually haunted. A lot of ashes get spread on that ride. But yes, tonight I'll be discussing Cedar Point's history, the famed carousel carver Daniel C. Muller, minus the umlaut, and his wife's almost Pygmalion-esque infatuation with one particular horse on the Midway Carousel, even after her death. Can I get away with referencing Greek tragedies? Is that too niche? Maybe we have some George Bernard Shaw fans in the audience. Though indeed, tonight I'll be intersecting my love of roller coasters, or I guess specifically amusement parks, none of Cedar Point's coasters are haunted, with my love of all things ghostly and supernatural. And yes, I'll be tackling the legend of Cedar Point's haunted hotel breakers as well. But before I begin, allow me to share my sources. This evening, we reference the Lady Dicks podcast, run by Tay Har, Andrea Campion, and Nikki Kipping, and their episode, Cedar Point Haunted Theme Park, Sandusky, Ohio. Not to make a podcast based off of a podcast, but they have a very well-written summary and extensive list of sources that helped immensely. I will also be using the book, Ghosts Among Us, written by Leslie Rule, Cedar Point's website itself, and the thorough timeline of its history, Carousel History's page on D.C. Muller, the article, Muller's Carousel Horse, on the website, The Ghosts of Ohio, written by James A. Willis, and I used Wikipedia once again. As usual, I will be posting these sources in the description, as well as others that may or may not show up later in the episode. Now, before I get into the woo-woo scary ghostiness, I'd like to begin with a little history lesson, especially considering the fact that the carousel, and nay, the particular horse in question, does a lot of moving around. Our story truly begins in 1870, two years before D.C. Muller is even born. Lake Erie is only the second smallest of the Great Lakes, but that doesn't mean that the 9,000 square mile, or 23,000 square kilometer lake, isn't a massive freshwater pond. Towards the end of the 19th century, the temperate, freshwater shores on the southern end of Lake Erie started to become a hopping tourist destination for the newly emerging middle class, a result of the economic growth following the end of the Civil War caused by an American cultural pivot towards industrialization in what would be known as the Gilded Age. In 1870, the first attraction would be built on the peninsula known as Cedar Point, that being a public bathing beach, by German ferryman Louis Zistel. Later that year, however, Zistel would open a bathhouse, dance floor, and beer garden on the north end of the peninsula. In 1878, more bathhouses would be built by entrepreneur James West, and in 1882, even more, you guessed it, bathhouses would get built by entrepreneurs Benjamin D. Dwell and Captain William Slackford, Slackford also being a ferryman. Interesting tidbit, though. 
there would be a bit of entrepreneurship to predate the pursuit of folly on the peninsula, as four artillery units would be built to watch the nearby Johnson's Island, which was used as a fort to house Confederate prisoners during the Civil War. Luce Zestel himself served as ferryman for the prisoners before turning his business savvy towards building a significant amount of bathhouses. Back to Dwell and Slackford, though. Over the years, the duo would team up with businessmen and other various entrepreneurs who owned land on Cedar Point, and in 1888, the Grand Pavilion would be built, a massive complex that housed dance halls, bowling alleys, restaurants, bathhouses, and right next door, another smaller pavilion built to serve women and younger children, because apparently it would be too unseemly for them to get food at the actual Grand Pavilion itself. But this would be the first concentrated effort to turn the area into a bona fide resort, and fun fact, even though the original Grand Pavilion has long since been torn down, a new Grand Pavilion is slated to be built more than a hundred years later, in 2023, as an homage to the original. Then, in the year 1892, the entrepreneurs would deign to build Cedar Point's first roller coaster, the wooden Switchback Railway. It stood an amazing 25 feet tall and reached an unbelievable top speed of 10 miles per hour. A quote from Cedar Point's website. However, the efforts of, I believe at this point, six different men, I didn't say all their names, but allow me to do it now, Benjamin F. Dwell, Captain William Slackford, he got sick in 1888, and Dwell teamed up with Adam Stoll, Louis Adolph, Charles Bates, and Jacob Kubler, would then sell the collection of investments they'd make to new manager George A. Buckling and his newly formed Cedar Point Pleasure Resort Company, formed mostly of representatives from the Lake Erie and Western Railroad entrepreneurialness. And to finally come back full circle to ghosts and supernatural occurrences and whatnot, it would be during Bookling's management that the aforementioned Midway Carousel would be built, semicolon, 1912. Although that's a bit of a misdirection, because the carousel itself wouldn't operate in Cedar Point until it was moved there in 1946. It would be, however, under Bookling that the luxurious Hotel Breakers would be built in 1905. Keep that fact brewing in the back of your mind for a bit. It might lead to ghosts. Not that it pertains to any hauntings in this episode, but it is a tragic piece of information nonetheless. Captain Slackford would actually drown during a shipwreck on Lake Erie in the year 1925, along with his son, William Andrews. This information comes from the Find a Grave website, in addition to the corresponding obituarial information. But yes, now comes the time to talk about Daniel Muller, his wife, and the Midway Carousel itself. Did I say I was going to talk about ghosts? That was a misdirection. Daniel Muller was born in 1872 in Hamburg, Germany. He and his brother, Alfred Muller, were sons to an artist and carousel horse carver known as John, aka Johann Heinrich Muller, who actually personally worked for legendary carousel artist Gustav Denzel, a man born in Bad Kreuznach, Germany, who was sent to America at the age of 20 with a single carousel, perhaps the first carousel on the Western Hemisphere, and would go on to produce more than 150 carousels during his career. It was Denzel that Muller would introduce his two sons to, prompting them to get in on the family trade. I promise I'm not intentionally trying to interweave German lore in every episode of this podcast, it just sort of happens sometimes. Sadly though, John would pass away while the boys were not but teenagers. However, Denzel himself would both take care of them financially, as well as teach them a few artistic tricks, though the brothers would officially study their craft at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. In 1890, Daniel and Alfred would start their practice with Denzel, but in 1903, they would begin their own carousel horse carving company, DC Muller Brothers Carousel Manufacturing Company, also known as DC Muller and Bros Company, not that it's like that much shorter, or gives Alfred any credit. 
The brothers would work closely with, and even rival, the quality of Gustav Denzel himself, though they wouldn't build more than around 15 or so rides. It would be in 1912 that Daniel would carve the horses for Hurley's Hurdlers at the Revere Beach Amusement Park in Massachusetts, which would then move to the Nantasket Beach Amusement Park, also in Massachusetts, before getting moved once more to, you guessed it, public bathhouses. Kidding. Cedar Point, in 1946, where it remains to this day. Fun fact, it is the oldest operating ride at the park to this day, both in terms of construction and operation. I don't believe there's a ride older than 1946 either. In time, though, Daniel and Alfred would grow apart for reasons lost to history. Perhaps Daniel gets more than the lion's share of credit between the two brothers, especially considering he named the business mostly after himself. And it is also said that the brothers' entrepreneurial pursuits even partially offended Gustav Denzel himself as a business partner. And to add insult to injury, the DC Muller Brothers Carousel Manufacturing Company, that is a long name, faced tough competition from bigger companies, such as Gustav Denzel, the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, for the roller coaster enthusiasts in the crowd, they'd recognize that name, and Charles I.D. Loof of the Netherlands. It is said that, even though the brothers put quite precise attention to detail in the carving and painting of the horses, particularly making them as realistic as possible to real horses, the rides would move too fast for them to avoid being damaged, and I don't think that they were really talented at the whole mechanical angle of the carousels in general, but that's just speculation. But, back in 1914, the DC Muller Brothers Carousel Manufacturing Company would also close down. And though their rides would still operate throughout history, there are only two Daniel Muller-designed carousels around to this day, the Midway Carousel and one at Forest Park in the Queensboro of New York. Weirdly enough though, Gustav's son, William Denzel, was more than happy to work with Daniel Muller following the death of his father in 1909, and the duo worked together until the Great Depression pretty much ruined every single major carousel manufacturer from the quote-unquote golden age of carousels, except PTC, because they'd make other rides too. In fact, the Denzel Carousel Company would sell all of their shares to PTC, the Philadelphia Tobacco Company, in 1928. That was a long parenthesis. This is not going to make grammatical sense. Daniel Muller would pass away in 1952. It should also be noted that another carousel was built in Cedar Point in 1921, and this carousel was a Denzel Muller collaboration and was located in Cedar Point's Frontierland, though that carousel was later moved to Dorney Park in Pennsylvania, and all of Muller's carved horses were either put in storage or at museums, with fiberglass replicas being crafted for the Dorney Park ride. But what about Muller's wife? We get to talk about ghosts, finally. Now is the point of the story where we address the potential apparition of a woman on a horse, for indeed, it is the ghost of a woman that Cedar Point staff report witnessing, and not a man matching Muller's description. Now, full disclosure, Finding any obituarial information on Daniel Muller or his wife, whose name I can't find, is really, really hard. So hard, in fact, that I couldn't do it. So a majority of these stories, if not all of them, are incredibly apocryphal. Daniel Muller may not have even married, as far as I could find. However, the main spectral origin story is that one of the Midway Carousel horses, known sometimes as the military horse, was carved by Daniel Muller specifically for his wife and she immediately fell in love with it, riding the horse day after day, non-stop, according to legend, of course. This story being legend, however, leaves many details adrift in the literary winds, and the military horse is also attributed to the 1921 Frontierland Carousel, and may also have been on display in the Merry-Go-Round Museum, which is literally next door in Sandusky, Ohio, though that one is a replica. And also, also, one of Muller's horses is on display at a museum in the park itself, in Frontiertown, 
so the facts are a little murky on that account. Now, here's the thing. The military horse isn't actually one horse, but a famous collection of horses carved in a decorated cavalry style. I'll talk about ghosts in a second, I promise. Many websites claim that the horses are carved in the style of Civil War cavalry, but from what I could tell from, well, Google images and very little other research, Civil War cavalry do not look like these horses, nor do the cavalry look particularly interesting or decorated in any way. I am not a military history expert enough to deduce which cavalry these horses are supposed to emulate. But either way, these horses are known as the military molars. And indeed, according to the rumors, the horse that Mrs. Muller fell in love with was definitely a military horse. Here's another little fun fact. The idea of the carousel actually came from a Turkish as well as an Arabian military exercise, wherein the mounted cavalry would ride their horses in small, tight circles and toss fragile clay balls to one another in a coordinated manner. It was a highly revered form of coordination and horsemanship and impressed many visiting Europeans who witnessed it. The word carousel comes from the Spanish and also Italian word carosella, which means little battle. And also fun fact, this military exercise was reported as far back as the 1500s. This isn't really relevant, I just thought it was fun. Not for naught, there is a horse on the Midway Carousel that allegedly matches the replica on display at the Merry-Go-Round Museum, but there's a catch. Allegedly, Mrs. Muller's fascination for the horse didn't simply allow her to ride it continuously in the afterlife as a ghost. And indeed, according to legend, she covets the horse so much that, even to this day, it's impossible to take a picture of the horse in question without it turning up blurry, or other photographical mishaps. Now, this is a very easy scapegoat to explain why no one knows for certain which horse is the haunted horse, but it is a part of the legend nonetheless. Part of me feels like I should describe the horse, because this is an auditory medium as opposed to a visual one. It's a brown horse with black hair and a lot of yellow and orange straps, like a lot of them, and a black saddle, blue flap, parentheses, the blanket looking thing under the saddle, and a lot of little American flags on the butt. Uh, this also disproves the fact that you can't photograph the horse, because you can. Another, even more apocryphal and potentially haunted origin story involves Mrs. Muller having an affair with an actual, literal horse jockey, and Daniel literally murdering the both of them, before carving a skull and crossbone into one of the horses for some reason. I don't think this one actually happened even a little bit. Also, also, even more apocryphally, some claim that in between being owned by the Nantasket Beach Amusement Park and Cedar Point, the Midway Carousel was once purchased by... Dot dot dot. See if you can guess it. Dot dot dot. Al Capone. Who allegedly tortured people on the carousel before dumping their bodies into the Great Lake. This time, Lake Michigan. Believe it or not, this fact is actually true. I'm joking. Neither of these stories have any evidence, obituaries, or newspaper articles whatsoever. So, ghost talk, finally. There are a couple of reports with named witnesses that I'll get to, but a majority of the employees who witnessed these events have not shared their names online, so full disclosure there. One of the exceptions is someone by the name of Anne Marie White, who pretty much explains the following for the Ghosts of Ohio website. The ghostly activity only occurs at night when the park is closed, so it is mostly employees closing up that witness anything but what they do witness is ominous fairground organ music playing around the carousel without it operating, as well as finding the carousel in a new position when employees check up on maintenance in the morning. I do believe these things still occur to this day. Some articles claim that, occasionally, a few of the horses' heads would be turned to face a new direction, which shouldn't be possible with carved wood. Other, more intense stories, 
involved the woman wearing a 1910s styled long white dress, riding the carousel after hours, even when the ride isn't powered. And some report witnessing the ride even operating in reverse, with or without the woman present. Outside of the carousel, some employees witnessed the ghost of a woman in Frontier Town, especially near where the old horse is displayed in the pseudo-museum, not to be confused with the Merry-Ground Museum in Sandusky itself. There was also a weird anecdote about sponges in a sink, where sponges disappeared if you leave them in a sink at a food stand in Frontierland and walk away. Apparently this has happened more than once. I believe the food stand that's in question is currently a Panda Express, but I couldn't find out for sure. However, one story from Leslie Rule's book has a witness with the name, the artist from Michigan, Shelley Gorney Schoenherr, who had a fascination with painting carousels, and would feel inexplicably drawn towards the Cedar Point Midway Carousel in particular. One summer, she would visit the park day after day, taking photographs, disputing the aforementioned blurry photograph legend, and sketching detailed renderings of one particular horse, even sometimes drawing it to scale. It wouldn't be until she discovered the replica in the nearby museum that she realized the historical importance of the Daniel Muller carving, and even later, when she would speak to an employee and learn that the horse was, indeed, haunted. Perhaps Schoenherr was possessed by whatever drove Mrs. Muller to become so infatuated with the carving, though unlike the mysterious apparitional figure, Schoenherr would then move on and get interested in other projects instead of dwelling on this particular horse for her entire life, or in Mrs. Muller's case, afterlife. Though I did scour the internet a good deal, I must play devil's advocate and admit that I neglected to take a trip to Sandusky personally to find any obituaries or newspaper articles in a library, either of a potential Mrs. Muller or any other person who may or may not have passed away on Cedar Point's property in history. And Zuma and I were even there this summer, so I'm just lazy. Here, recording from that. Hey, so I was going to make a... I haven't done like any of the recording yet, but I know I'm going to make a video about this because it's haunted uh midway carousel one of the horses are haunted obviously um it's not after dark and i don't work here so probably not going to see anything but like i just ate a cheese on a stick and so who knows what i'm going to hallucinate there's one of these lucas is here do you want to be in the video cool he shook his head no Who's to say if that was appropriate for podcasting, considering I think most of the components to that video I filmed were video, but I liked the joke about the cheese stick. I wanted to keep it. Moving on, though. Pretty much every record I could find online wouldn't go past 1980, in regards to accidents on Cedar Fair properties, Cedar Fair being the company that owns Cedar Point as of 1974. But a lack of records online does not mean that there wasn't any historical event that may have laid the groundwork for a haunting, and much like haunted hotels or hospitals, there are far more people stepping onto the property than someone's private home, and many in the paranormal community speculate that these high-traffic areas are more prone to supernatural activity due to this. That's heebie-jeebie supernatural speculation, though, and not the sort of thing one might find in an academic paper or company report. Speaking of hotels, the Hotel Breakers on the eastern shore of the peninsula does have a few ghost stories of its own. And while the reports of hauntings do have a bit of a leg to stand on, the potential origin stories for said hauntings are far more apocryphal than even the possibly fictional Mrs. Muller, so do be warned. Also, I do want to include a full content warning in regards to suicide, uh, so I'm going to call on Future Forsetti, who has already edited this episode, to help out with that, to make sure that if you don't want to listen to that sort of thing, you can skip to this timestamp. Future Forsetti here, if you'd like to skip that subject material, I understand, and go to 2901. Now, thank you very much. Anyway, 
The long and short of this haunting involves the hotel's room number 169. Don't say it. If you said the word nice out loud while all by yourself listening to this podcast, take a good look at your life. And pat yourself on the back. I love 69. Anyway, this story involves a spirit by the name of Mary, who, according to legend, either hung herself or leapt off of a balcony out of despair for a lover, or perhaps as a part of a suicide pact wherein she was the only one to hold it up. Either way, she apparently haunts the room she was staying in, room 169. I should mention, you can say nice comfortably. The story isn't backed up by any evidence in a newspaper or obituary. Semicolon and is particularly scornful of male guests in particular. To further confuse the point, other stories also reverse the rules, having the man be the one to fall to his death while the woman pulls herself up to safety at the last moment. Either way, a lot of women patrons to the hotel breakers allegedly experience an ethereal force pulling them towards the ledge of the balcony. Future Forsetti here, you're all good for the content warning. Thank you, Future Forsetti. Now, as I said... These origin stories lack any and all obituarial foundation or newspaper reporting. I've used the word obituarial like three times this podcast, not entirely certain if it's a real word. Uh, so in case you were like, what's he saying? To do with an obituary. Moving on. Despite that though, the Hotel Breakers does experience haunting activity, such as electronic chicanery, strange banging noises, ethereal crying, cold spots, small objects going inexplicably missing from the lobby, and the apparition of a woman. The jury is out as to whether or not she's wearing Mrs. Muller's white dress, but as far as I could find, uh, she does sometimes lack a face. Sometimes the shower turns on by itself, and other times the sink. And some even claim to see the apparition of a woman frequent the ballroom. Sometimes with a whole retinue of 1920s clad spirits dancing to spectral swing music. Even the on-site TGI Fridays experiences a haunting, which makes far more sense than if someone were to spend their eternal afterlife at an Applebee's. Yes. Cedar Point's TGI Fridays, located in the Hotel Breakers itself, apparently experiences such ghostly activity such as figures moving inside the paintings slash pictures hanging on the walls, and faceless apparitions wandering the restaurant after the building closes for the night. Another layer to this tale entails the aforementioned merry-go-round museum in Sandusky, which is also haunted, apparently. Evidently, Mrs. Muller, or perhaps a different white-dressed turn-of-the-century ghost, haunts the replica military Muller on display that one might find on the Midway Carousel, this time without the writing of the music, inasmuch as the horse here is detached from any attraction. Although, the museum also harbors the ghost of a janitor, as well as a little girl, who apparently tugs on the sleeves of guests. Quote, Oops, an extra source. This quote coming from the Only in Your State website from the article The Sandusky Merry-Go-Round Museum is the Most Haunted Museum Near Cleveland, written by Nikki Rhodes. That brings us finally to the conclusions, wherein you silently keep your opinions to myself and I talk about my conclusions, because sadly, this is a podcast and not a conversation. I guess until you leave a comment, which is totally encouraged, by the way. I brought it up briefly, but a large number of paranormal-minded people believe that places wherein a large amount of people travel tend to be more haunted. Hotels, train stations, ships, hospitals, etc. Whether or not this is because people carry energy and or spirits with them that tend to find themselves more comfortable at these locations, or a more substantial amount of people find themselves, well, not alive anymore on these sorts of properties, this theory is widely held. No one's figured out that puzzle quite yet, though, if you believe in that sort of thing at all. However, 
It is important to note that a single amusement park tends to get far more traffic than any single hotel could ever dream of, especially a park that's as old as Cedar Point. So it makes a lot of sense that, if ghosts are real, they'd be present at these leisurely destinations just as often. Now, roller coaster enthusiast hat, amusement parks are one of the safest places you can ever spend your time. The sheer amount of engineering stopgaps that a ride requires to operate, on top of regulations regarding weather, faults, maintenance, you name it, makes your chances of perishing on a ride far less likely than, say, a car, or being a coal miner in the 1920s. I feel obligated to say this so as to not discourage people from going to theme parks. Although if you're concerned about COVID, that is an entirely valid reason. As I mentioned, there are a lot of people there. But, though records are not easy to find, I sincerely doubt that these regulations were in place before World War II. So who's to say if anyone perished on the carousel? Probably not. It's a carousel. And the carousel wiki didn't mention anything in that regard. But you never know. In regards to hauntings, however, this spirit, if you believe any of this at all, has all of the hallmarks of a residual ghost, or a haunting that sort of play-acts events that happened when the person or people were alive, as opposed to a spirit that knows that it's dead and knows that it's a ghost. This goes for the merry-go-round ghost more so than the ghost at the Hotel Breakers, though. That one feels a little bit more poltergeisty to me. I don't believe that there are any spirits or anything here that are, let's say, non-human. I believe that every ghostly entity at Cedar Point was, at one point, a living person. There doesn't seem to be a single presence that has an agenda or mannerisms otherwise. Everyone still on board? I didn't lose you with the extremely non-scientific speculation? I'm glad to hear it. And yes, despite the fact that there aren't many employee witnesses willing to share their names, or despite the fact that employees are the only people to see the ghost, I do believe that there is a ghost here, be it a simple residual haunting. And likely, these ghostly echoes aren't going away anytime soon, as long as the carousel keeps going around and around. I do not believe, however, that it's Mrs. Muller, but I can be proven wrong. I'd just like to see more evidence that she even existed in the first place. And a lot of people were at the park before records were kept on accidents on the property, so it's hard to claim specifically that that legend itself is the, pole, the whole proponent for the ghost. It pains me that I know not even her first name. This same principle applies to the spirits at Hotel Breakers and also the TGI Fridays. Nothing can stop me from believing in the haunted Cedar Point TGI Fridays. And I'll throw my hat in there and say that the Merry-Go-Round Museum also has a bit of the residual energy. It's not that far off from the actual location of the carousel, that is. I imagine a ghost might transfer back and forth. I don't actually know the lore of the museum itself. I didn't look into it near enough, and I don't think it keeps a detailed history on deaths on the property, even compared to Cedar Point's lack of details thereof. So that one's a little bit hard to look into. But yes, those are my thoughts. I guess that's the conclusion. I guess, yeah, that. on to the conclusion. That'll wrap up the parts of the episode of Foxo Esoterica that precede the Review Corner. Which brings us to the next part of the episode, the Review Corner. You can bet that the Midway Carousel has reviews. Let's take a look at them. Von Sweeney writes, It's a good ride to ride. However, after working this ride last season, it may be a bit harder for me to take seriously. There's a horse with one eye that gives me nightmares, and I have since named the horse One-Eyed Bart. LOL. Four stars. John Samco writes, I could ride and listen to this merry-go-round all day if there wasn't anything else to do. This was a pretty exciting ride in the olden days, but now considered lame and for old folks like me. Oh, John, I may be a thuzy, but I make a point to ride the carousel every time I visit a theme park. You're totally justified. Five stars. 
Edward Susan writes, These sources aren't even real. Are you sure about that, Edward? Two stars. Jeremy Daniels writes, Supposedly haunted, but a great ride. Beautiful at night. Four stars, and I'm glad the reputation of a haunting extends past me alone. That'll wrap up this part of the episode of Fox Esoterica, preceding the actual last thing that I'll actually say. Now on to the last thing I'll actually say. You can find Fox Esoterica on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and YouTube. You can also find me on Twitter at F-O-R-S-E-T-I-F-O-X, and you can support Fox Esoterica on Patreon and Coffee at capital F-O-R-S-E-T-I, capital F-O-X, for both. Thanks to Sun El Chiquito for the podcast artwork. And special shout out to Steel Vengeance, the RMC hybrid coaster that's the best of all time. Don't come at me with your Guazier opinions or El Toro opinions or Velocicoaster opinions. I guess I'm in Europe now. I might ride Zadra next year. You know what? Steel Vengeance, hold that thought. We'll see. We'll see.